You're listening to Well I Laughed, part two of Hometown Hijinks, linking it together. Okay. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. Amazing. All right. Hi. Welcome, everybody. Um, I'm Grant. That's Maya. We did all of our good little banter on last week's episode, which we finished about five, ten minutes ago. Yeah. Nice little break with Casey. We keep trying to get him to do cocktails with Casey. And, and he keeps saying no. I bri- We bribed him. We're Listen, we're inching closer. We're getting there. We can tell. Um, right now, and I'm sure he would disagree, and I'm also half sure he's listening. I, I think, think it's like a, a fun, principled stance that he's taking, not like actually maybe a firm position paper that he has. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, Here's the thing. We'll, Here's we'll the thing. Is I'm thinking, I'm thinking that... Uh, <laughs> If we're at if we're at Kelsey and Edgar's, I've started to do this too. I want yeah. you to know. Good, good. <laughs> We've good, both developed. <laughs> we are both starting to merge into each other. That's great. Physical manners. I'm sorry, um, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Audio um, platform. If we get Edgar to do oh. a version of it, then we can like, either make one of them jealous, or they can do it together. For a second. We haven't talked a lot about what we're going to do, but I am envisioning basically like a very Casey Musgraves Christmas kind of shot where like you and Casey are like by a fireplace yeah. with a dog and I walk in and I go, oh, hi, <laughs> welcome. And you can't give him any acting. <laughs> I walk in, he at fire with dog. That is, yeah. that, I can give him that, I think. I can give him that note. And then all he needs to do is make the cocktail and then exactly. uh, I'll narrate for him if he wants. And here we see his strong butt supple hands. <laughs> grasp I thought you were just going to ch- say strong butt. <laughs> and here we see him shake and then also mix the cocktail. <laughs> I don't know why I'm speaking like it's, David Attenborough, the uh, former like British nature documentary BBC. guy. Yeah. Former? Is he? He's still doing a it. A lie? That's amazing. I just saw one where he goes into a submarine and I goes love, to love. one of the deepest depths that a person has ever gone. Still? Terrifying. People are still doing that? I'm sorry. I thought we it was all... before the Titanic I thought submarine. The, okay. Okay. I was like, yeah. I'm pretty sure the internet convinced us all. Oh, right. Okay. Done. Don't need to do yeah, that Yeah, we don't. Even though the ocean is what scares me the most. <laughs> I think it's on the list, but yeah. For me, it's Most. snakes, alligators, crocodiles, aneurysms. So anyway, so I was kind of... <laughs> no, here's the thing. No in between. So anyway. When, when I was in college, one of my... This was... It was an old bit from Archer. This is not an OG thing of mine. But I would get a little buzzed at parties in college, which was like 2012, you hateful younglings. Um, I would go up to people and I would go, tell me your three biggest fears. And they would. They would just, they'd be like, thank you. I've been waiting for somebody to ask. I just recently rewatched the entire Hunger Games trilogy, right? And I forgot how dark Finnick's story is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he like walks up to Katniss and he's like, people pay for my time with secrets. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, forgot that he was basically forced to be a prostitute. That's cool. Yes. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. And then he dies. <sighs> so sad. There. So I just finished watching The Crown. It's related to Finnick, I promise. Mm. And it how was. How is it? Should I watch it? Have you seen mm-hmm. the first couple seasons? I've seen every season up to the Then I think one. you got to finish it. Okay, None yeah. of the episodes, I think, are longer than 45 minutes. You finish it out. I was gonna, it's I interesting to watch. I wait until it's all released so I can just binge it all at once. <laughs> Anyways, uh, there's this quote about uh, Princess Diana that I think is also mm-hmm. true about Finnick, which is that they serve as reminders that uh, trouble and heartbreak is the curse of every human, regardless mm. of like your power or beauty. 
I will say one thing. I hated uh, President Snow in the entire Hunger Games trilogy. And don't be, don't get me wrong. I still hate him. But after reading A Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, I'm like, okay, like, hear me out. I hate him, but he's smart. <laughs> I hate him, but I understand how that specific input gets that specific I get it. output. I get it, and I don't think I would ever think that way, but okay. Listen, a lot of our friends who were at book club with us on Monday, yeah, yeah. four days ago, yeah, sweet. Yeah, yeah. Time's an imaginary concept. Dude, the, the cahoot I made for part three. <laughs> I'm so excited. That's, listeners. It's brutal. Listeners, we attended a six-person book club where my and I are two of the six people <laughs> and just destroyed <laughs> it was essentially a competition between Maya and I I was like and trying four to others see watched. <laughs> Lydia lost to someone who hadn't read the book we love you Lydia but... I love her so much it's so funny <laughs> like an absolute blood sport between the two of us and then everyone else was like well, those were funny answers and I was like I should have pressed that button faster <laughs> Because Kahoot rewards not only correct answers, but timeliness. There was one time that I watched Jacob get the... It was I was in third, Jacob was in second. I watched... I, like, clicked the answer, and I looked at Jacob and watched him pick the wrong answer before yeah. they even announced the right answer. I was like, yes! And then after the Kahoot, there was a discussion. And why is this so true for millennia? The gay guy and the sad girl led the class <laughs> in the book discussion. We were like, well, yeah, in my depression, I've also experienced well, I that. I think this is a really interesting conversation about the <laughs> dynamics of power and how Snow doesn't create the system, but then uses it and holds it, and everyone's like, wow. And then Jacob's like, I don't think that's at all what the author meant. I was like, we were like, your name in Kahoot was Anus. <laughs> Quiet down, bronze. <laughs> you got it because it was there, not because you earned it. You didn't click any of those buttons fast enough. Listen, I started from the bottom and I made it to second. Y'all and I might degree, disagree, but only in private in front of all of our hundreds of listeners. In public, we are a united front. And it's funny to watch our friends try to run a schism between us. Because we'll double Especially down on each other's now. bullshit. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, and watching Tyler try and oh my god I love him dearly and that thing's just not gonna turn on that's so it's fine. fine I think we look okay still no we look fine um it's uh, so my parents are like so how's the podcast right when I go home and it's you know it's great and it's funny and it's so it's fun because it's one of my dad's favorite things to talk about with I me love that so he's so much. he's uh, my father I don't know I'm not gonna shit He's, he's just a really lovely old man. Yeah. And this winter, if you are in the grocery store and you're in the ice cream aisle, unless you live in Lincoln, Nebraska, <laughs> buy Blue Bunny peppermint ice cream and just, just try it. Him. My dad likes it. And also, apparently, it helps kind of soothe the stomach a little bit. I know. I think my dad discovered essential oils well before. <laughs> There's no way they're getting that peppermint any other way. That, uh, that, that, anyways, the thing it's hard to tell my parents when they're like, how's the podcast? Because yeah. I can't be like, well, it's made my and I a two-headed dragon at parties. <laughs> We're just assholes to everyone else. If you thought I was awful, imagine us both being Robin to each other. <laughs> Imagine both of us gaslighting you, even though we both know we're both wrong. It's like the one thing we've agreed to is we will not lie to each other. And that's such terrible news for everyone, everyone else that we else. love, because we have so many lies to tell. Oh my god, it's so bad. 
this is already, and this is dangerous, feeling like the Patreon episodes that we will record, or after we get through like the business of the first episode. We're like, episode, so anyway. <laughs> it's like, no, this one's going right out to the public. Um, okay, so then... I've kind of been dominating this first little part, That's but I have fine. another little thing to share. No, I'm just really excited for you to take the Kahoot. I, I made, I offered to make the Kahoot because I accidentally read the entire book instead of just the first two parts. And the rest of the book club had a week to finish the third part. And I said, don't worry about it. Also, I'm better at making Kahoots than Tyler. Don't worry about it. And also, I think I could have done also, a better wait, job. Also, wait, Tyler's last three questions were all discussion <laughs> questions. <laughs> So, so was, the last three questions on this 25 question Kahoot were 100% opinion based because it's Kahoot you have to load in a correct answer yeah. and so Tyler loaded in what he thought was the correct answer for the five of us who were playing and none of us guessed a single one of his correct answers he was the only one who correct thought they the were right yeah. oh my god it was infuriating by the third and final like opinion question we were all like trying to get into the mind of Tyler and we still got it wrong <laughs> <laughs> All of mine are fact based. Good. There is a single and it's what, one. Fifty. I'm gonna have to sit no, for a midterm. I'm gonna have to get a blue 25. book from the union. <laughs> it's the twenty-five. The last question is who's better at making cahoots? Nice. Okay. Well, we definitely know what the answer is there. <laughs> have you checked your A confirmation bias? I did a Google like random. Nice. Number generator, and that's how I did. decided. When I was, okay, so <laughs> uh, also, because love you, Tyler, but when Tyler made the Kahoot, mm-hmm. he did the thing that a lot of young teachers do when they first start making tests and quizzes, mm-hmm. which is that A is never the correct answer because they're afraid it's going to be too obvious, and then A only turns out to be correct once on the mm-hmm. entire test. They like overcorrect. And so, what I've taken to, and I know it's mean, and we have a lot of listeners who are students, so I am kind of sorry. But I love to put three questions in a row where the correct answer is it's B all three times. No it or don't. That no it or don't. The best part about going into an engineering school <laughs> is that none of my professors ever did that. <laughs> <laughs> they were all way too smart for their own good. I love that. At times I've done an A, B, C, D cascading order. That's kind of fun. But that gets kind of so artsy. No one else is noticing it but me. Yeah, I don't think I would have noticed it. My favorite was when I was taking AP US history. My AP US history teacher was like, if it comes down to it and you don't know the right answer, if you, we've studied this because she would always also grade the AP uh, US history tests. And if you only answer the longest answer on the entire test for the entire multiple choice section, you will most likely get a three. Say that again? If you only answer the longest answer on all of the multiple choice questions that like you don't know the answer for. Like the one that's richest in detail. Yeah, that's probably right. Really? That's really good to know. You're welcome. I mean, I don't teach AP anymore, but no, that's great I, to know. I also don't take AP anymore. <laughs> so. I, uh, God, we can't get into that. I was There's like, you can't be telling stuff. me that. That seems like insider knowledge. One year I went, because I did used to teach AP World History, and mm-hmm. one year I went like so ham on trying to prepare the kids for mm. the AP test. And I didn't have a large group of kids, so sample size for those mathematicians out there, like not good for like a healthy year-to-year study. Right, right. Um, but we went so hard and our grades, our scores dropped a little bit. Ooh. And it took every ounce of wind out of my sails. I you was like, like, well, oh. fuck that! <laughs> well, if I try hard, I stress them out and they don't do well, so exactly. I might as well never try again! <laughs> I, listen, I do love my students, and I try to be aware of their well-being. Me saying no. Also, I punched you there. Sorry. Me saying no. It wasn't no. as hard as Barbie, so it's fine. It's a funny movie. <laughs> More on that in a second. Um, I gave up a lot of evenings to run mock exams for those mm. kids and mark them up. Mm. 
Yeah. Not Which also meant I probably wasn't giving them good practice exams, but whatever. Um, I told my mom over Thanksgiving that Barbie was one of my favorite movies oh, no. of the year. What? And my mom goes, what? And you go, Did you guys see it? And she goes, yeah, it was fine. And I go, happy. mom, some of my friends cried during it. And she goes, oh, they got to buck up a little bit. <laughs> That's my That was my childhood. <laughs> you cried during it. I know. And what you- do you think I said? Some of my friends. <laughs> was like, well, that's gross. But no, that, that was always, my mom has always been just so, like, kind of direct and thoughtful, yeah. but you know. No, I get it. it. She's a good parent, is what you're saying to me right now. The last story I have to share of our little, like, dishing moment is related to that, too. Okay, hold up just one second. Look at this. This is Denver, my oldest niece, practicing the song from Barbie. Oh, the youngest. She's got about one out of every ten words correct. Same way gay dudes do at bars. But she's waving to everyone. Really cute. She's practicing the parade part of the song. Yeah. I love that. It was really sweet. Um, all right, so last little story in our little banter catch-up section. Mm-hmm. I actually wanted to say this last week, aka two hours uh, yeah. ago, but... Um, the evidence was starting to kind of mount, and it was kind of hard for me to, like, fight against it. We have... Oh, the fact that you lived in Norman Rockwell painting, you thought I would forget that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I knew you wouldn't forget it, but I kind of figured this would help kind of space it out for <laughs> okay, our listeners a little enough. bit more. So my my family has this tradition, and it what it's that thing that it's not weird because it's what you grew up with, and then you interact with other people as you get older, and you're like, oh, it was weird that we still do that. <laughs> so the thing that my family will do is, well, one, we still all get gifts for each other. And it's not like and gift. Like, we get gifts for each other. Yeah, that's cute. And it's my parents, my brother, my sister-in-law, my sister. My sister kind of had, I don't, but maybe also then a plus one kind of situation. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to jinx anything. I love her. You guys know that. (laughs) Um, But then, turns out a lot of families, they'll all, like, sit together, and then everyone will open up their presents at the same time. Oh, And we've never done that. Mm. It is a, like, three-hour Maya, I got you this gift, and then before you can open it, there's, like, a little bit of a story that I'm going to tell you about why I got it for you. And there are, like, bathroom breaks and, of course, more whiskey coffees. And at one point, we, like, warm up Christmas Eve dinner leftovers. And, like, we, like, get back to it all, and we all sit and... It's like, I mean, it's unspoken, but it's a, a deep faux pas to open up a present if the previous present receiver is like still hearing, talking, or trying out mm. the gift they were given. And that was just how we always did it. As Even when we were young kids with toys, it was mm. one at a time. And you could kind of play with your toy when other people were getting yeah. gifts, but you weren't opening another one until it was your turn. Turns out um, most families unwrap their presents in like 10 minutes, not in like over the course of an afternoon. I wish I did. I feel like I, I feel like when I was young, my parents were never big gift givers. And so they would like each get one gift each. And then it was just like me opening up the gifts from my family. And since I was an only child, we never like had to establish rules. (laughs) (laughs) But then as I got older, I stopped getting gifts from like relatives. I just got money, which thank you. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to send me more money, P.O. Box number... No, yeah, we should actually get a P.O. Box. <laughs> <laughs> Not for gifts, for business, but also... <laughs> Mostly so that I don't have to put my address on anything. Good. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I also have an address. But, yeah, after, like, it... 
got to when I was like old enough, I would just get money from like my relatives. Sure. And then my parents were like, do you want anything? Or like, do you need money? And mm. I was like, I mean, I want things, but I need money. <laughs> <laughs> and so Christmas morning was like, my parents would get me like a token gift. I would get them like sure. a little token gift. And then I was like, that's it. I would love to have a little, like a whole afternoon of it's, just like celebrating everyone's love for each other. That's so cute. Almost a little overwhelming for so people cute. who are kind of, I think, new to it all, but like they fall into, and I want to say right now, hopefully for those of you who've been listening to the obvious part, like my family's like mm-hmm. incredibly fortunate mm-hmm. to be able to have an afternoon like that. Yeah. And we are super aware that that's like a unique position. Yeah, it's a privilege. We are, and that's absolutely a privilege. Yeah. Um, it's one that we're grateful for. Teresa Thomas, will you adopt me? <laughs> you would actually, I think, love Thanks. Christmas at the Thomas House. <laughs> Thanks, bye. Well, because here's the thing. I Whiskey and coffee? Yes. There was an element to where it was, I mean, not to give away too much like Thomas family lore, but, <laughs> but for neither one of my parents, for different reasons, but for neither one of my parents, that was not what Christmas was like mm, for So them. they wanted to make it like I think that. for, and again, I'm keeping things in moms, I think for one of my parents particularly, to be able to make that day kind of special, meant a lot it's when really we were kids, sweet. and then I think it, we just kind of of adopted it mm-hmm. as kids yeah. and it doesn't matter what the gift is or where it's come from. I mean, there's certainly been times, especially for us three siblings mm-hmm. where it's like money's a little bit tighter this year than it was yeah. there before. Right. And like, you know, you find a way to use it or so, whatever. Yeah. It gets hung up in the room before they come visit or whatever it is, you know, but yeah, it's just like a very sweet and lovely. And if it makes this less weird, we do not have matching pajamas. So we are like all in like athletic shorts and like torn up and mom's in a row. Nothing could have made this more or less weird. (laughs) It is is a Norman Rockwell painting. Also, this episode, I believe, comes out on December 20th. So Merry Christmas. I love that. No, but for real, I like, you know that picture where that like the the Norman Rockwell picture where there's like that turkey in the center and everyone's in. Yeah. I have been to those kind of dinners before. Like honestly, like twice a year my entire life. I swear in January I won't talk about my family That's as really much. That's really cool that your just... family is happy. <laughs> <laughs> For all you. of our no contact girlies out there, I'm with you. <laughs> For reals. And like, honestly, it's, I, I just, yeah, yep. Casey and I are going to New York, which is also a privilege, but it's also so that I don't sit here and realize that I'm not at my family's. And we've had a few discussions in Discord and I've found my community. Yeah. So if you have trouble with your family, um, HMU. Because, uh... HMU? My, hit me up. My oh, surrounding yes. uh, people <laughs> <laughs> live in a normal rock, Norman Rockwell painting and I don't. <laughs> um, yes, it's, it's I, have, I have nothing else to say other than that I am I am lucky for my family. I, I'll actually maybe say this. Mm-hmm. This is weird because it's not at all related to the story that mm-hmm. I'm about to tell. But I think one of the reasons, come, I'm, I'm not trying to get all sentimental here, but I'm here, uh, here, here it comes. I just am aware that not, every queer person gets that kind of dynamic yeah. with their family. Yeah. And that having that dynamic with your family as a queer person is still like a relatively recent thing. And I just think that's one of the things I'm grateful for. And so I talk about it. So He's I am sorry if it's tea. making you feel, I'm, I'm trying not to, but I'm, I hope I, this story didn't make anyone uncomfortable. It's just, I'm excited for the holidays. And that's really cute. <laughs> You're so well adjusted. So Maya, I have a story queued up. <laughs> Not well adjusted, but thank you all the same. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm fine. I'm fine, everyone.
I'm excited to tell this story. Yes. When you texted me, or I think we were talking when you were like, topic is hometown hijinks. I was like, I am required to talk about Lincoln, Nebraska. Yes. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Yeah. I figured it would either be, well, what would I talk about? Or hell yeah. (laughs) How am I supposed to only pick one thing to talk about? (laughs) Yes. So um, there's a lot. When I grew up in Nebraska, there was... I was like a real Nebraska aficionado. I absolutely knew. That's a weird to, thing to be an aficionado. Well, of. You, someone's got to be. <laughs> uh, Nebraska was the inventor of the Reuben sandwich, 911 emergency calling, and Kool-Aid, which is still based out of Hastings, Nebraska. Is that it, or is there more? Okay. <laughs> you are also the home the to some 18- of my uh, most traumatizing religious elementary school teachers. So. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, that comes with the terror. <laughs> Why do you think I'm so funny and no longer live there now? <laughs> Honestly, I have no idea. Uh, so telling, picking the story to tell was tough. I was looking at some new stuff. A hometown hijinks, for what I, for half a second, I thought about doing one of Nebraska's more famous serial killers, Charles mm. Starkweather, because there's a, we were, we're, it's not going to be him, so, and there's no... No, but now I'm gonna look him up okay. because I like true crime. There's um a what was that rumor. Oh, and are we off camera or maybe for the Patreon? Maybe I'll do it for the Patreon. I'll talk about him then. Love that. Yeah, give me the name. <laughs> Charles Starkweather. What a name! He needed to be famous one way or another, and I feel like he just knew he wasn't gonna be famous on his own. Apparently, so he, just... he carved his name or initials into his like middle school desk, and they put it up in the closet in storage. And on Halloween, you can visit his ghost. That's an absolute old wives' tale, but one that I was told growing up in Lincoln. That's fascinating. I know. Maybe it is a Patreon episode. And terrifying. Oh, uh, right. And that's why it's not this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought more. I thought more, and then I remembered fall semester of my senior year of college. Mm -hmm. I was a secondary social science education major. Secondary grade 7 through 12. Social sciences is everything from history to economics, Mm -hmm. psychology, stuff like that. Education major. You can figure out the rest of the puzzle. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so that meant, in addition to all my education classes, I had to take several classes in the content I would be endorsed to teach in. Mm -hmm. In your senior year, you take a geography of Nebraska class and Mm. a history of Nebraska class. And I had a wonderful professor in both of those classes. Uh, Honestly, my senior year, incredible professors at the university. And I had a history of Nebraska class. And there was a couple things about that class that I really remember, which is astonishing because... I actually wasn't a great student. I think I, my last few semesters, I think I averaged like a 3.1, 3.2, which would be impressive in like an engineering school. Thank you. But I needed that affirmation. Not, uh, <laughs> not particularly for a heavy humanities major. All right, fair enough. You know, like um, it was, I, <laughs> shocking no one, able to get through a discussion pretty easily. And that, <laughs> huh? and that carried me quite a long ways. And so I was like, a very middling student in my classes. Extra funny now that I'm a teacher, but those who can't teach, right? (laughs) Kidding? No, I'm not. So I'm like a very average student in um, college. You know, it's fine. But I have two very distinct memories from this History of Nebraska class. First... I'm sorry, did you just say rememberies? Yep. Okay. 
Memories, <laughs> all alone in the moon. Singing podcast. Um, I'm only calling the Rememories. <laughs> <laughs> you know the song I'm referencing to, right? Okay, good. So I have two Rememories from this History of Nebraska class. The first is, I will not be shamed. Will not, cannot. I teach high school. Uh, first, we had a non-traditional student who I believe, and they did a Journal Star article on her. Mm-hmm. That's the name of the newspaper in town. So I'm not sharing private information. I believe her name was Jean. Cops, if I remember correctly, K-O-P-S, and she attended the university, I think, in the early 60s, met her husband, got married, moved to the farm after he graduated, before she did, and she never finished her schooling. Not uncommon at all at the time. Then he passed away, and needing something to do with her time, her kids told her to go back and get her degree, and the university was willing to give her an honorary degree, honoring like the credit she had earned before, and so this was one of the last classes she had to take. And one of my clearest memories of Miss Cops was when we're talking you about. You say it so smoothly. <laughs> I can't even say aristocracy. aristocracy. <laughs> without like thinking about it. Is she? Um, so we're talking about events that happened for us legitimately in history, like in the eighties and seventies. And he's talking about how we have to source the material and go into the library and going through like spoken word records and things mm-hmm. like that. And she goes. Can I use my memories as a private? <laughs> Obviously, she says memories. Yeah. Can I use my own memories as at least one source? I remember that blizzard. Like, essentially, and our professor was like, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, you could do that. I mean, the rest of us are like 20, 21 years old, not even alive during some of these events. How do you source that? I mean, I think she's like, let me pull out my journal. I don't know. But, I but just, like, I feel like I got graded so hard even in like when I was in humanities in high school, like not even in college, like science stuff, but like you needed to source shit and then put like a little like asterisk. One. I think the woman in her 70s was like, can I reference my own memories of this event that I you guess, weren't uh, alive yeah. for when it occurred? You're going to say, yeah, yeah that's yeah, fine. Yeah, absolutely. Anyways, Miss, she was great. She was not patronizing. She was really exciting. She was very that's aware awesome. that she was in a class with a bunch of young people. And she's like, I just think you guys' perspectives on all of this is really interesting. And then... Um, she became Facebook friends with a lot of us afterwards. Because obviously, we'd get assigned group work and stuff, yeah, and she'd and be assigned be fun, to our yeah. groups. And she would, I mean, not like a relative or anything, comment on a lot of my posts. I would go on hiking trips in Utah, and she goes, oh, I remember you from class. Looks like you're having such a fun time. And you get to see her, like, see, grandkids adults and stuff. when you're, like, <laughs> I mean, everyone's an adult in college, basically. But, like, people that are older going back to college in classes with, like, 18, 20, 25, 22-year-olds, they're either... Either the sweetest people you will ever meet or the coolest people you will ever meet. Yes. Or the weirdest. (laughs) And unfortunately, going to an engineering school, (laughs) we mostly got the weirdest. Do you remember a meme from at least a decade ago of Mm. a professor on a skateboard, skateboarding professor? Mm -mm. Okay, well, that was uh, one of the professors at UNL. Oh, well, uh, we had one that uh, his name, I'm not going to say his name, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, (laughs) He was a really good physics professor, and then he had a really bad brain he had like car he was a biker he was a biker and he, mm. he got hit by a car had a really bad ba- brain injury became really weird after that um but mm. i think at that point he was tenured and so oh, but he still really the horror story continues but he really wanted to be i think he mainly taught first and second level physics and so everyone had to take his class i remember one time I, <laughs> you would like if you oh, had God. a higher gpa you would get to register for classes earlier so you would get to pick your teachers which Looking back on it, that's a weird system. Um, but 
I remember I distinctly didn't take his class, but one time he subbed for my teacher and he picked on me at one point and he had, he opened the class with a hangman game. Okay. The answer to the hangman was don't get sick because our professor had gotten sick. That was like the first 10 minutes of class, <laughs> mind you. And then he made fun of me for eating Oreos in a certain way. And I don't remember what way that is. I'll eat Oreos anyway. <laughs> don't come at me. <laughs> Oreos are Oreos, man. I'll take them apart. I'll eat them whole, whatever. And then he pretended to like call security on me with the class phone. Anyway. He's got real into his own humor there. Yeah, he's really, I think Casey took more classes with him, but he's, uh, I, he's a hoot. I kind of love how different our college experiences were. My first day of college, this is a real story I'm about to hit you with. Oh, God. First day, and, oh, God. First day of college, I'm in this giant Calm 101 class, mm-hmm. and I sit down, and there's this bubbly blonde girl who sits next to me, and everyone's being super personable, first day of college, mm-hmm. trying of to course. make you friends, mm-hmm. and because it's Nebraska, and so many of the people who go to you, the university just are from Nebraska, Nebraska yeah. you play this fun geography game, which mm, is like, where in Nebraska do, you, where do you, and do you mm-hmm. actually know where it's from, right? I'm from mm-hmm. Lincoln, so, you know, I like, everyone knows where I'm from, that's where we're currently at, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. in the story, and she tells me, this girl... Um, I think her name's like Kelly or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Callie goes, oh, I'm from Beatrice. And I go, oh, really? I actually have family from that area. What's your last name? And she goes, Buzzboom. I don't know if I'm supposed to say these last names or not. It's pretty generic. Okay. Uh, and she goes, Buzzboom. And I go, are you at all related to the Nebraska volleyball player, Danny Buzzboom. And she goes, yeah, actually, that's like my first cousin or my older sister or something, but it's like a an immediate connection. And I know who Danny Buzzboom is because Nebraska volleyball plays on television in Nebraska. Yeah. It's a huge deal. Go Huskers. So I can leave that in. Yes. Okay, cool. um, huge deal. Go Huskers. Um, and I knew I was related to... Danny Buzzboom, because my mom would be like, that's your third cousin on the television. So when she was like, yeah, Danny's like my cousin or my oldest sister, whatever, I went, hi, Kelly, I'm Grant. We're third cousins. Nebraska! Sweet home Alabama! Lady <laughs> Gaga did a Nebraska song. We're all right. Mm. Anyway, so then, so so my first memories is uh, <laughs> daughter. My first memory so is Gene Cops, and my second memory is this story I'm about to tell oh, you. Oh God! Are you buckled up and ready to go? Sure. Smooth ass transition there, right? That was good. Completely buried the lead. Got her again, folks. All right. Okay. <laughs> all right, you ready? You no, not after that. Your face is so Jesus. Concerned. Anytime that you're embarrassed and you say, we, we can cut that, I am immediately not cutting save that. It, save, it, save, <laughs> it, save it, save it, save it, save it. Yeah, and now the Discord's like, keep it, keep it. Yeah, the like, Discord is like, every time you say, we should cut that, and Maya doesn't cut it. Here's the thing, Discord, I love you. You know I love you. It feels like you're on Maya's side a lot of the time. It's hysterical, <laughs> and I love it. All right, all right. Um, let me make sure I was... Yes. Okay, are you ready? No, but you're going to go anyway. I'm a Lamborghini. I'm a, a Hollywood, Hollywood star. star. Immediately knew it. You're an ally. I'm telling you. Oh, story. I can't remember that. I'm expensive sushi. I'm a huge Huey yacht. I'm What's a little bit single. Even, even when, when I'm, I'm not. not. <laughs> That's probably trademarked, too. Uh, we're not playing right. it. <laughs> we're just singing it. Just before... 8 o'clock on Sunday evening, January 11th, 1891, John Sheedy, 
a Lincoln, Nebraska real estate developer, hotel owner, noted booster, and sporting man, stepped out the front door of his house on the southeast corner of 12th and P Streets to go two blocks over to his gambling establishment in a district called Uptown. Suddenly, out of the shadows, a man charged towards him, striking him on the side of the head with a leather-covered steel cane. Staggering, Sheedy drew his pistol and fired several shots, but missed his assailant, who disappeared down 12th Street and into the dark. Sheedy's wife, Mary, rushed from the house to help her husband back into the parlor, called the doctor and the police, as neighbors, including another doctor, gathered. Dr. C.S. Hart, you aren't going to hear from him again, but Dr. C.S. Hart <laughs> and the chief of police, Marshal Samuel Mellick, soon arrived, and as the two doctors dressed Sheedy's head wounds and helped him to bed, Mellick questioned him about the attacker. The doctors administered pain relievers, and Mary Sheedy gave her husband sleeping powders and a cup of coffee. In the middle of the night, Sheedy was stricken with paralysis. He fell into a coma the next morning, and doctors ruled out surgery. He died at about 10 o'clock Monday night, 26 hours after the attack. I have multiple questions. Okay. Um, yes, we did both do stories from the Gilded Age by accident. Uh, just seems, <laughs> seems intentional at this point. Um, you mentioned two professions, boosters mm -hmm. and something. What? Booster is, I have a lot of money. I'll spend it on ah, the city. Okay. <laughs> kind of. Like oh, that's okay, kind of, okay. I have money. <laughs> Enjoy the fountain. <laughs> Money slap. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Sporting man. Um. Uh. Yeah. I think bets on the horses. Yeah, loves the ponies, but okay. also owns the place where you bet on the ponies. Okay. And then uh, second question: His wife gave him sleeping pills and a cup of coffee. Couldn't have been that wrong, I guess. <laughs> Who doesn't love an upper and a downer? Okay. Excellent. <laughs> okay. So he dies. Sure. Police soon after arrest a man named William Monday McFarland. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You're only going to hear him as McFarland. Every single character in this story basically gets a Monday crazy McFarland. nickname. <laughs> McFarland. They arrest McFarland, who confessed to the crime, allegedly after the police threatened to turn him over to a waiting mob. See, William Monday McFarland was black. And a lynching was a real possibility. McFarland said he had been coerced into the murder by Mary Sheedy, who, after the attack had finished, she poisoned her husband's okay, coffee. Yep. yep. When an autopsy confirmed the presence of poison, Mary Sheedy was arrested and, like McFarland, charged with the murder of John Sheedy. As the alleged facts of the case, established by Monday McFarland's confession and supported by testimony at the coroner's inquest became public as all of this story was revealed, Lincoln High Society was thrown into a frenzy. What we're going to cover is the murder of John Sheedy, subsequent trial and fallout, and a closer examination at Urban Life during the Gilded Era. 
Look at us. I know. <laughs> we're such assholes. You were like, but the real story starts in 1885, and I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Remember that time last year? We were week? both like, let's not do the 20s anymore, and instead of getting more modern, we were both like, we want to go back. So the parents of the kids in the 20s, let's talk about them for a second. Remember last week's episode when there was a moment where I go, I'm so excited to talk about my episode next week yeah. because of this moment. And I was like, no, 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 no. It's just like, you understand. It's because I was like, LOL. LOL. <laughs> it's the same shit. <laughs> Gilded Cheat. Age, aristocracy. Uh. There's a person from Denver featured in this story. We're going to get into it. So, Did Mary Sheedy actually kill her husband? That's what the next 90 minutes is to discover. Um, Part of this story is unpacking the... um, the murder trial, the case and facts as they're presented. Grant's doing true crime, guys. <laughs> the turntables are dead! But it has to be like at least 140 years old, and it has to be a misunderstood woman. <laughs> or maybe so she's, she's no, not Okay, you gave it away. But did I? Because not only are we going to unveil the like case and prosecution and the defense and like look at some of those facts, we're also going to try to take in a larger context of like what it said about both perceptions and reality for middle class and upper middle class people during the Gilded right. Age, especially yeah. in all Sober of these boom towns. Because the East Coast obviously had like the established boom the boom towns, <laughs> but I heard Denver's on its way down after all after that all silver, silver. bullion. <laughs> Lincoln's on the ups. Listen, before I get into any of this, so Lincoln, the city I grew up in, and where this murder takes place, um, Lincoln was not the initial capital of Nebraska. Mm. It was first given to Omaha. When the Capital Selection Committee came to Lincoln, Lincolnites, yes, that's our name, Lincolnite, well, was, I mean, I don't know anymore. Lincolnites <laughs> served the Selection Committee ice cream, which was so extravagant at the time, they viewed it as a bribe and did not give it to Lincoln. Oh. So instead they oh. set up in a hotel gambling hall in Omaha. And for a while, I think, was on a steamboat parked on the Missouri on the edge of the city of Omaha. And then after they were like, a well, pleasure barge. Yes, exactly. They were like, let's get it out. Let's let's give it back to Lincoln. And Lincoln was given it because they were also like, hey, I know we mess up the first time, and we're actually called the village of Lancaster right now. But remember that president that just got shot? What if we changed our name to his name? And they're like, deal. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why it's called Lincoln and why it's the capital, Nebraska aficionado. We have Molly Brown. <laughs> and the no, Brown Palace. No, I'm not like, we're better. By no means am I saying Lincoln's better. It's just funny. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was also to honor the assassinated president. Sure. But there was definitely a maneuvering element to it, too. De sure. Yeah, de sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, now's a great time to cite my sources. Uh, I got my sources from uh, the Nebraska, sorry, history.nebraska.gov from an incredible article from the Nebraska State Historical Society and a website ran by the university called Gilded Age Plain Cities. I love that. And for all my friends who love maps, this lets you explore Lincoln at that time with some interactive features. It's very cool. Um, wow. Also, I we will have to throw some of these pictures up because one of these... Yeah, just send them to me. Sure, but I need you to see them. So it starts off with, that's like an actual portrait. Sorry, listener, I'm showing Maya photos from the time. They'll be right here. Yes, I'm showing uh, y'all photos from the time. The first couple ones start off, yeah, that's fine. Oh, that's an actual picture. Uh, oh, God, what oh, the hell is what's that? that? Oh, is that... Are these legitimately... 
the cartoons. Drawings? No, these are the cartoons that were published in the papers. <laughs> it gets hold on. There's there's one at one. Oh point. my god, what is that? I know. That's a skeleton. <laughs> I know. What is this? It's a dog. It's a dog they gave a mustache to. But hold on, let me get to the one that absolutely set me. Um you can never find it when you want to find it, you know. <laughs> it might have been this one. Okay, so it was, so you see the skeleton, and that's bad. But can you please just also appreciate whatever this is? <laughs> <laughs> dad is the one drawing it and the kid is being really annoying yeah. so he gives the kid a pencil yeah. and the kid is trying to like and replicate I, the drawing. I don't know how tough it was to print photos in 1891 on the Great Plains. But they still printed it. They could have cut it so easily. There's no overlap. So I'll have to all save them and, and send them. But Put them on the drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll get yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. um, Fantastic stuff. It's the first time you've had pictures. I'm learning from everyone, you. Everyone clap. Everyone clap. I'm just a month behind whatever Maya's doing. Uh, several months, actually. <laughs> if you look on our website, you'll yeah, see. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so the murder happens, and it's huge news. It is gigantic news. Little uh, Lincoln's only been a town for like 30 years at this point. What year is this? Um, 1890 and then the trials in 1891. Like, or Nebraska Sorry, was a state before Colorado, yeah? Yes. Okay, cool. Well, cities are different than states, never mind. Nebraska was the first state admitted into the Union after the Civil War in 1867. Wow. And then the University of Nebraska was founded in 1869. All I know is that Colorado's a centennial state. Because we were made a state a century after. After what, Maya? After the Declaration of Independence was signed. Is, are we positive about that? 1776 yes, to 1876. <laughs> you Baby. did good, Colorado Public Education. Ooh. Lake High School. <laughs> um, okay, so local and regional newspapers provided unprecedented coverage, um, and the subject dominated the conversation for months. Almost every important Lincoln lawyer, which was like, 12 at the time, <laughs> uh, was involved and thousands of spectators. At first men, but by the end, many middle-class women and elite women crushed into the impressive new Lancaster County Courthouse at 10th and K Streets to watch the proceedings. Oh There's a chance that that building was destroyed. But if that building... It's either that or the city council building. One of Lincoln's original founding buildings is now called the Grand Manse and hosts an incredible Thai restaurant called the Blue Orchid. <laughs> I was really hoping you would ever say, like, a ball or something. <laughs> oh, no. It's on one side an incredible um, Thai food place. Mm -hmm. And if your family was willing to help give you some money, that's where mm. you and your prom dates went <gasps> on prom night for the fanciest dinner of your lives. That's fancy. And then on the other side of that building... Uh, Hertz Donuts, a open till 3 a.m. donut location. That's important, actually. An That's important really important. An important part of that building's history, I would say I, so. I, yeah, 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 yeah. Honestly, one of my favorite parts about doing this story is that, like, K Street, O Street, P Street, 9th, 10th, mm -hmm. 11th, 12th, that is where the University of Nebraska is located. The Haymarket still very much exists as, like, a Ooh. business center. It's where, when I was a kid, we'd go a lot. And then, obviously, when I was a university student, I spent four years there. So... Very few of these structures actually still exist, mm. but these intersections and streets are the same as yes, you grew up with. Spent a lot of time on. Did them. you know the one of the buildings at Colorado School of Mines is the Guggenheim? Okay. 
And do you know the history? Do you know there's only two gold domes in Colorado? I mean, Casa Bonita, the nope. state capital, well, yes, and okay. mines. And mines. <laughs> do you know why mines has a gold dome? No. Because it used to be the state capital. Shut up, for reals? Oh, that is kind of. And I guess Golden was the old state capital. Yeah, exactly. City for so a that while. Guggenheim is our like administration building. We don't have any. What a silly there. amount of state history we know. It's weird. That's <laughs> very. Why weird. is this the important thing? Okay, what learn. I'm thinking about is the the craziness of like the Gilded Age, or even like even in the 1900s when there's like a dramatic trial and everyone and their brother goes yes because no one had jobs they pause their affairs and yeah. they go yeah. watch the courthouse <laughs> and like what's the equivalent in today's age of like that kind of trial like i think it's the f1 race that happened in las vegas and went poorly <laughs> I'm kidding. I was thinking like Johnny Depp and uh, oh that kind of trial. Yeah, like the trials that you actually watch. Amber Heard. Well, was gonna bother me if I didn't remember her name. No, I hear that. Yeah, I like that was a trial. And granted, I work from home, and um, sometimes my job is not uh, doesn't require a lot of my sure. attention. But like I uh, usually I have like some kind of news channel in the background. Sure. That was when I had what I found out is court TV <laughs> that just covers live. Court. This is Judge Greg Mathis, it's here like, to change your life. It's like C-SPAN, but um, for the court. Can I say, I think uh, we have access to so much media and so much content producers oh, yeah, now true. that I think it's harder for us to have like a national focus on something I w- the way it was easier yeah. back in the time. I even want to have a state focus on it. Like, yeah. I live so close to the courthouse, I could... I could I'll go watch a dramatic court trial. Can you tell she's never been called for jury duty like the rest of us? I've never, and that, it makes me so mad, guys. It makes me so mad. Paragraph two. <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop interrupting no, you. No, it's great. It's so fun to be on this end of things. Like, and be like, yeah. so anyway. No, I'm like not stressed. I'm like, listen, this whole page is like, skip if we need to. This is a lot of vamping. Um, okay, so... Um, Such concerns reflected a pervasive feeling in the early 1890s that the structure and dynamic of the nation's economy, political system, society, and culture were undergoing profound transformations. So really funny that your episode last week was like, and she's pushing all these boundaries during the Gilded Age. (laughs) I'm like, don't I know it, Maya? Don't I know it? We're all pushing boundaries, babes. (laughs) Um, People felt the forces of change sweep away what was familiar and a pervasive sense of crisis permeated nearly every aspect of American life. It seemed to many that all the rules had changed. Like noteworthy crimes in other times and places, the Sheedy case opens a window into the crisis of the 1890s in Lincoln and in urban America. Okay, so let's get into the, some of the facts. The Discord. <laughs> well, I don't know what just happened, but great. Money just loves you so much. And I love her too, and I'm like super allergic and was having a tough time 30 minutes ago. So cute. <laughs> so okay, so January 12th, the initial murder happens on the day before, January 11th, 1891. Mm hmm. Um, I have lost. There it is. January 12th, as Sheedy lay dying, Marshal Mellick and Detective James Malone, so Mellick and Malone, mm-hmm. spread word of the assault. They basically just get to gossiping right away. I love that. Um, and they go to an area called Lincoln's Demimodes, 
a concentration of saloons, gambling halls, and bordeos along O Street and P Street, interrogating residents and patrons in search of witnesses and information. O Street is basically Lincoln's Colfax. It runs across the entire mm. length of the city. So there are some really nice kind of almost upscale parts of O Street. And then there's like a lot of car dealerships. And then there are some like not great parts of O Street. What's the nice part of Colfax? There's a brewery. <laughs> <laughs> Those of you not from Denver, Colfax is like a, it's just a really long street. It's a very long highway through the center of town. You can see it from space. <laughs> At nine o'clock the following morning, and then later on, on January 14th, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know that way. An unprecedented number <laughs> of reporters, policemen, lawyers, and politicians, including the mayor, crowded oh. into the jury room as the inquest began. A member of the jury, a prominent reform businessman, moved that the inquest be held in secret and invited the press to leave. Suspicious and infuriated, reporters called the unprecedented closed chamber an illegitimate star chamber eavesdropped through every nook and cranny <laughs> and forced their way back into the room. That's hysterical. I'm imagining like a large painting of a famous judge and they carve eye holes into it. Yes. I, I love that. They're like the eyes are moving yeah. back yeah. and forth. Meanwhile, it's like uh, there's like a vent near everyone's foot and you just see eyes I, there too. <laughs> a light bulb gets and a unscrewed. Flash. Yes, exactly. And like the smoke and stuff. Yes, absolutely. I love this. Um, though some jury members apparently doubted the blow could have caused Sheedy's death, an inquest, and the inquest concluded that he had been murdered, death resulting from internal bleeding caused by a blow to the head. Uh, the questions was, who struck him and why? So the inquest, I guess, was first like, was there a crime? And then they were like, yeah, I guess there was probably a crime. A man's dead. Yeah, a man got <laughs> shot. Regardless of if he died from the shoot. Right. Oh, so no, he didn't get shot. Oh, wait, he no, has he responded He's to like, the shot. He's like, like it hits nothing. He gets hit in the head. Right. Okay, okay, metal okay. Metal cane wrapped in Re leather. In leather. Right. One way or another, he did get blood right. force trauma. What we know right now, as a fun little teaser, but they aren't entirely aware of yet, is that he's also been poisoned. <laughs> I love a woman's a woman's, <laughs> woman's uh, Yeah. Melick and Malone continued to comb the P Street dives, and within hours, they found witnesses who, like Mary Sheedy herself, claimed to have seen a black man of middle height and build near the Sheedy house about the time of the murder. This okay. is going to be important later. So no one actually saw him do the crime. She just saw a black man near the scene of, of the crime. Of medium height do Jesus. the crime. So that could be any black man. Correct. That's a little... We're going to circle back to this detail in a second. But yeah, Donald could DeFries? be anyone's. No, that's actually not alive yet. But that's great <laughs> question still. Um, well, I guess maybe he was. I don't, no, probably no, not. No, he no. was not. He would be no, ancient. Yeah. Um, the boys of P Street uh, said the description fit William Monday McFarland, a popular patron of the area's bars <laughs> and clubs, a barber... Um, on the north side of Uptown, and a barber that worked at a place adjacent to Sheedy's Hotel called the Mac Hotel. So Sheedy okay. owns a bunch of businesses. Um, McFarlane works near them. Later that day, McFarlane was said to have been seen on an extended spree, which isn't a run, but sounds just like a 
binger on P Street. Bender. Yep. I mean, binging's a big part of a bender, but yes. <laughs> I don't know what a having bender is. Having a real is. Michael Malloy kind of afternoon out on the town. We're having a real Michael Malloy <laughs> afternoon. It's actually kind of a, a, a lot of parallels, all I'm going to try to say right now. Oh, no. Um, uh, and a group of rowdy white men in search of him, apparently intent on taking the law into his own hands, eventually... McFarland is found by detectives who arrested him at a bar on O Street. Well, I'm not glad that he got a. Well, I, I mean, I'm glad he got arrested. I am glad that the the rowdy white men who decided to take the law into their own hands were judge, not jury, not find him, an executor. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I mean, kind of like pick your poison, and that one didn't kill him right away. Yeah, taking him to police headquarters and the loathsome city jail on the southeast corner of Haymarket Square. Which is where this now really great uh, grill place called Laszlo's I was say, is. Haymarket Square sounds like someplace I'd like to be. Oh, it was maybe the first inch of America to get gentrified. It is. If you want sushi, if you want like a good bourbon grilled chicken, if mm. you want live music, there's a place. I, I know we've said no free advertising. Ivanacone in Lincoln and Haymarket Square. Delicious. Haymarket, such a fun place. They have an adorable little farmer's market. Anyways, it used to have the city jail. So they bring McFarland. William Monday McFarland to the city jail. I think we can make fun of the nickname. Yeah, that's a weird... That's definitely... Yeah. yeah. Um, they bring him to the city jail and put him in, quote, a uh, windowless, airless sweat box, <laughs> removing Jesus. him occasionally to see if he was willing to talk. Finally coerced by the threats that if he did not talk, they would hand him over to the mob, Marlin can, sorry, McFarland confessed to the murder. Believing they had their man, oh, now they needed a motive. It's not how that works. No, it's not. And so then McFarland tells this story to the police. Oh, no. That's going to shock them about what it reveals about Mary Sheedy, John Sheedy, and maybe the way Lincoln High Society moves behind closed doors. Louise! <laughs> That was perfect, I want you to know. <laughs> but also, too, as I say all of this, I want to put a little feather in your cap right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not true. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's mostly true. Maybe it's entirely true. Maybe none of it's true. There's some, like, strong, big question marks. But here is what McFarland shares to Sorry. the police. What do you think a feather in my cap means? It's kind of, I mean... I'm using it right now to be like, let's just go ahead and put a pin in this part of the story and admit that, like, I'm not saying this is the God-spoken truth. I'm presenting to you a narrative. Okay. I'm fairly certain it means, like, an award, doesn't it? Yeah, probably. It's, I haven't been home yet, and it's been uh, 14 no, hours fair. since I've left <laughs> my house. You know what? Super fair. <laughs> Super fair. Just want to point that out. I'm also, like, not in frame of the camera. Anyway. <laughs> like that's, that's a good point. No, I do think a feather in my cap is an award. Also, maybe it's just something we come back to later. <laughs> maybe just shut the fuck up. Maybe just give you a goddamn break. No, I'm kidding. Absolutely. This, this is what I'm here for. It's what they're here for. Okay, so McFarland tells them two, three days after John Sheedy's death, mm-hmm. about this story. McFarland says that about a year ago, John Sheedy, who was a benefactor and friend and a regular customer at his barbershop, had asked him to come to the Sheedy's home to do Mary's hair. Very common mm-hmm. thing. Um, McFarland, a handsome, personable man, scheduled weekly house calls. And soon, McFarland and Mary Sheely, Sheedy were on friendly terms with one another. She seemed distraught 
blurting out that her eight-year marriage was a sham. Then she recounted her story. See, Mary Sheedy had arrived in Lincoln from central Illinois in 18, Illinois, in 1879. Not as Mary Sheedy, but as Molly Margaret. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Worth it for your face alone. I was like, did I miss this? (laughs) Yeah, Molly Brown, great. Murdered a guy. Oh, (laughs) Oh my God. She had arrived at Lincoln as Molly Merrill with her second husband, George Merrill, a carpenter and teamster. See, previously Mary had been married to a man, uh, but he was sent to prison. So she had arrived on her second husband, um, George Merrill. Apparently, they patronized dance halls, saloons, and gaming establishments on P Street, including a notorious gambling den at 10th and P Street, which I think has a, like, Jimmy John's now. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the craziest part about this story is how many things I recognize about I thought you were going to be like, I think it's like a bar now, or like, I think it's like a speakeasy. There's plenty of bars to get Jimmy John's. It's It's a college town. There's like, you know. No, I mean, it makes sense. There's like a Wings and Rings, you know, there's like a Brothers bar on one corner place called iguanas that's a good time the place that i once met dave franco is like named in this story anyways um uh records okay so gambling den at 10th and p street interestingly some of these places that uh molly aka mary sheedy and her second husband george some Mm -hmm. of these places they're going to for just a fun night out of the town yeah owned by john sheedy oh yeah Records of the Merrill divorce hearing in 1882 did not make clear if Mary had already met John Sheedy before or after the couple divorced in 1880. So they separated in 1880, Mm -hmm. the official divorce hearings in 1882. But 1880 is kind of boom, stamped, the divorce happens. Apparently, George Merrill had grabbed Mary in anger, sorry, quote, in an angry way, is what the divorce hearing says. Okay, yeah, And said, he will not live with such a damned whore. Direct quote. Oh, my God. Direct, from 1882. Um, And that he then locked her out of the house, sold all of the possessions, and he moved back to central Illinois. goodbye. Mary went to go work at the Arlington Hotel. So they're separated. Okay. Well, but then maybe George comes back for a little bit. In 1881, he comes back. Him and Mary kind of come back together, but George is spending all their money. Oh, and George also moves in with a woman of, quote, of ill repute, end quote. (laughs) The quotes, the direct quotes in this. Yes. All the quotes in this are so funny. Um, Just because of the old timey verbiage alone. Uh uh Um, And then leaves Mary again. Mary is back to working at the Arlington. A Mm -hmm. divorced woman. Her second marriage has just collapsed. But fortunately, a Mr. John Sheedy is staying at the Arlington Hotel. When God closes a door, he opens a wealthy man. (laughs) (laughs) Close my door, God! Close my door! (laughs) Opens the legs of a wealthy man! Let me again! Let me again! I hope that's actually funny and her just like deliriously tired. <laughs> See, here's the thing. Mary Sheedy has lived 
a full life by this point. Mm-hmm. She's moved. She has moved. She's gone through two marriages. Yeah. Uh, she is also 25 years old. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Mary's 25 years old and twice divorced. Once to a man who was incarcerated, and then second to a notorious gambler who left her twice and also left her homeless. The previous run-in with romance, however, did not seem to be a huge issue. And fortunately, love conquers all. Coincidentally, Mary was 25 and John Cheedy was in his late 40s. Match made in heaven. Almost twice her age. Yeah, match made in heaven. (laughs) Yikes. So now back to this, like her apartment where her hair is getting done. Okay. So we're kind of like hat on a hat on a hat here. Okay. Yeah. McFarlane gets grabbed by the police. Yes. And they're like, tell us what's going on. And to make sure he doesn't get lynched, McFarlane's like, let me tell you this story. Yeah. And he goes, a year ago, I started doing Mary Sheedy's hair. And she told me this whole story, right? Her Uh... second husband was a no good man. She met John Sheedy. At first they were in love. But now that's maybe not happening anymore. No, it turns out he's twice her age. Correct. So they, in 1882, um, they get married. Mary and John get married. And he gets murdered in 1891. So there's a couple years of love. But in 1890 is when McFarland enters the picture and starts doing her hair. And that's where the story continues. She sees a black man. And she's like, you're a criminal, right? Kill my husband for me. Well... Just a couple of other things before she gets to that, okay. though. Okay. Also, okay, okay. all that speculation right now. Yeah. So now, back to the salon, where <laughs> Mary is telling William Monday McFarland all of this, who will later tell the police, I mean, he's talking to the police now that he's been detained. As McFarland explains to the police, Mary tells him how hard married life had been on her, that her third husband was a cheat, and kind of a proud one, wasn't really hiding it, you know? That he was a gambler, he had a mistress's... Um, and was acting as, quote, an all-around sport, which, to my best investigation skills, was an insult. Um, she was distraught, and so, to help comfort her, they embraced. And their friendship deepened. Those are the direct words from one of the articles I pulled. Most of this is the direct words from the like articles it. I pulled. But embraced and deepened. Ugh. I want it to mean hug. It's not, though. But it's not, because they wouldn't say it any other way. Yeah. You know? If, the, if they hugged, they, they would have, uh, yeah, they wouldn't have said friendship deepened. And so, McFarlane's like, and so after she told me that, we embraced and our friendship was deepened. And now that their friendship had deepened, Mary had another story to tell oh. him. Okay, so Mary's like, okay, Jesus. so you're cool with the first husband who's in prison, the second husband who left me, and the third husband who has just been no good to me, no how whatsoever, right? Well, now I need to tell you about what happened in Buffalo, New York. Oh my God, this woman. <laughs> so she's telling McFarland that in 1890, now only a year before the murder, and very recently, like, into having known McFarland, I think this trip to Buffalo, like, just kind of wrapped up by the time McFarland is on the scene. In 1890, Mary and John Sheedy had traveled to Buffalo, New York, so Mary could get treatment for, quote, a disease peculiar to women. <laughs> that could be literally anything. I know it could mean anything. I think when you've seen that word in the past, it means hysteria. 
<laughs> which also could be anything. anything. Yeah. My wife didn't say yes 101% of the time. Fix her. <laughs> Bloodletting. Well, um, try as they might, her and John got into a huge fight. Shocker. What? Again, why do all of these Gilded Age couples be like, what if we traveled together? That'll fix everything. That'll fix it. You know how weirdly uncomfortable our lives are right now. What if, what instead, if we make it worse? What if we were just on horses and wooden benches as we were married? Maybe <laughs> then no we'd be comfortable. no air conditioning exactly. or plumbing. What if I had to quietly sit next to you for 18 hours? <laughs> That'll fix it. So John leaves, but Mary, still suffering from that disease peculiar to women, uh, okay. stays. And, I mean, what's a lonesome girl to do? But find a barber. But fall in love. <laughs> She meets a man, a, quote, young dude, machinist, and traveling salesman by the name of Andrew Harry Wallstrom. His and it's not even her barber? <laughs> no. What? Okay, so just because I now know we have no, I know we said a lot of names. John Sheedy is Mary Sheedy's husband. husband. And then she embraced her barber. Monday McFarland. The one that's in uh, jail right now. And who's sharing all this to the police. Before John Sheedy, there were two other husbands. I only told you the name of one of them. Yeah, I don't even care. The two husbands. Now it's John Sheedy. Then it was the barber. And now it's this new fucking guy. And now it's Andrew Harry Wallstrom. Harry's his nickname. His name is Andrew. That makes no no sense to me. I actually, I went through the notes and he's the only person I did this for. I deleted his nickname. I, was like, <laughs> I can't be calling you Andrew Harry. That doesn't make a connection in That's anyone's so modern stupid. minds. Well, um... Drew, Andy, there's I, so many options I, that aren't Harry. I'll say this. When Mary shoots a shot, she don't miss. Sign her up for Sniper School. That woman, <laughs> She's accurate. had six lovers. She's in Buffalo, New York for treatment of some kind. Gets Andrew Waltram to fall in love with her so much... He follows her back to Lincoln. So, to Lincoln? To Lincoln. To fucking Lincoln, so, Nebraska. So she's like... She, <laughs> not yes. that Buffalo is any better, but like... It Nebraska, wasn't time. It's at I least think, New York. So she's embraced her barber, and she's like, my husband's a cheat, but thank God my own mistress is here in town. Andrew, you know, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> the barber is like, huh? <laughs> oh, oh my. Uh, talk about hijinks, because you just wait. Jesus. Who followed her back to Lincoln and was living first at a downtown hotel and then in an apartment in the new heater block at 15th and O Street. Um, what's there now? What would be funny? I think a subway, actually, if I had to be completely honest. What just so turned fun. off? That lamp. Oh, Alexa, turn on living room lights. It's just my vacation timer that apparently Casey has not figured out yet. <laughs> Other witnesses told the detectives that Mary visited Wallstrom, sometimes disguised as a man, but then later, after a while, more like a Cyprian than a middle-class woman. Took me about five minutes to find an answer. Yeah. Cyprian, uh... Ancient word for prostitute. Okay, that's (laughs) where my mind went, so I'm glad. So, um, the detectives get this little tidbit that like Andrew Wallstrom's a character and they interview people after hearing McFarland's story and they're like yeah we've definitely seen her with Andrew Harry Wallstrom before anyways um 
She has been observed giving him gifts, including a diamond ring, staying at his residence for considerable periods, good for her, uh, <laughs> and openly strolling with him in public. As the affair continued, Mary talked of divorce, and John, quote, th- was thrown into a jealous rage and treated her badly and threatened to kill her and placed mm. her under surveillance, nearly imprisoning her in their house. After telling that part of the story, Mary and McFarland embraced again. <laughs> Barbara is like, I'm here for you in your time of need. And then they develop their own semi-romantic relationship. And this is now the last little bit of the McFarlane tale to the police, kind of. Jesus. As McFarlane is talking to the police to kind of prove that he's not lying, what is what would be the craziest thing McFarlane could do in this moment to prove that him and uh, Mary Sheedy had some kind of relationship? You're right, Maya. He has a lock of hair of Mary Sheedy. That is Sheedy's just about as creepy locket. as I was thinking. He's okay. like, no, you don't understand. I'm also, also a man in her life. See? <laughs> this is like a ponytail. I know it's not that big, but and the, still. And the police are like, oh. uh, okay. So did you get Andrew Harry Wallstrom down? Okay, thank you, Mr. McFarland. We'll be back in a second. <laughs> okay, so. What the hell? This is now, I mean, all of this other stuff is just fun, high society gossip. But now yeah. comes the thing that the police are really going for. Eventually, McFarlane... Yeah, the death of a man! Oh, oh, no offense, reader, but have you forgotten that this story started off with a man being caned and poisoned to death? Yeah. That's fine. I get why you forgot that. <laughs> um, this woman's so eventually, love life is so traumatic. McFarlane works up to, like, the big reveal. Mary had formulated a plan for him, McFarland, Mm -hmm. to murder her husband, offering to pay McFarland $20,000 from Sheedy's estate, which she said was worth at least $200,000. He balked, but when she threatened to reveal their affair to her husband and the police, if he refused, um, he, he relented. Yeah. So he was like, she asked me to murder her husband. I said, no. And she's like, well, lover, if you don't, I'll tell my husband, and then a white, white mod will set your Kill body you. on fire. Yeah. What mm. is, does that change the calculus at all? Again, again, this is McFarland's testimony to the police <sighs> after being in what we would recognize today, a torture box, uh-huh. and who is very aware that a mob might murder Still him. murder him, regardless. So, yeah. this is a confession coming under duress, for sure. All I'm trying to add yeah, there. that's great. There's that's some cool. complicated stories cool. to all of yep, this. Yep, yep, yep. Um, <clears throat> so, um, he made two attempts to kill Sheedy. <laughs> both failed. <laughs> Mary decided to ensure the success of the third attempt, he claimed, by slipping poison into her stricken husband's coffee. The fact that she gave him coffee should have been a red flag. I'm just saying. Yeah, probably. Although maybe it wasn't unusual. Like, here's a warm drink. It is January. And it gets cold. It gets super cold in Nebraska there during the winter. other warm drinks. Sure. But, I, you know, maybe that's what he wanted. Um, Weird. So they have the body exhumed. They're like, oh, yep, uh-huh, poison. So they go off and arrest Mary Sheedy and Andrew Wallstrom <laughs> as an accessory to murder. And they lock Andrew up. But there's no women's jail. There's no facilities for women. So they just bring Mary Sheedy from her home and bring her to the detective's home instead. (laughs) (laughs) You get in your room without dinner and you think about the murder you've done. (laughs) 
Well, yeah, if I were a woman at that time and I knew that there wasn't any place for me to go if I got arrested, I too might commit some crimes. So this story is already what the hell? full of really fun intrigue. Told you this is why it's one of the two memories I have from Re- that entire. You got stuff laughing at it, it because it, works it takes every to time. me like just long enough to process. Or I'm like, wait, did he say? Re-? Yep, he said memories. Wait, that was a joke. For- <laughs> wait, that's a joke, right? I'm in on it. I'm here. Um, <laughs> this is my whole personality. <laughs> Right now, same. Um, <laughs> There's a joke, me too. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. So, so this is the just like the fun intrigue and stuff. Let's talk a little bit about who were John and Mary the couple. For years, John and Mary Sheedy, right? They were married for eight before John was murdered. Um, for years, John and Mary Sheedy had been moving on the edges of Lincoln's genteel society. Although a known gambler, John was praised for his civic-mindedness in downtown development, his active interest in the affairs, he had a booster ethos, and booster also meant, like, I'm going to try to get businesses into the city, I'm going to try mm-hmm. to, like, really make, I'm trying to promote this place, yeah. I'm trying to really make it, it a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Literally boosted. <laughs> um, he was incredibly he was incredibly liberal to local charities. Mm-hmm. He would give money away, and so there was definitely this kind of like push and pull where it was like, well, we don't love how you're making your money, but you are then doing some kind of cool some things with stuff. that money. Yeah. And there seems to be this whole understanding that as long as the things that you do to make that money stay in this very specific district in town, and then that money can be used for other stuff, kind of like an uneasy piece. Wow. Eat the sin, love the sinner, you yeah, know? It just sounds like so much of what happens today. <laughs> like, still all the time, <laughs> all always. All the time. Listen, the money is nice, but I don't want to see the war crime. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, homelessness is a problem, but it's only a problem if I can see it. Exactly. So move them away. They have my sympathy, just not my proximity. <laughs> That's literally it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also, I mean, not to be like we're on white horses, like there's work that I have to do myself on that. Yeah, yeah, But also like culturally, Denver is progressive and then it's not, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's progressive and then you're like, oh, weirdly capitalist. Okay. <laughs> um, well, that bar only lasted for two weeks. It's so funny when you go to like small town Colorado and you're like, yeah, that liberal Denver. And I always want to be like, I wish. I want you to know. I wish. <laughs> You know I love the city. I'm a real booster of Denver. I'm a Denver booster. Broke, but a booster. (laughs) I do my best. And so while John is out here in kind of this, kind of that, Mary is setting up her own genteel middle class house. I think Lincoln is too small to have a true aristocracy and like a Mm. sacred 36 and stuff like that. Love that I nailed aristocracy and then stumbled over sacred. (laughs) Yes, good. Yes, cool. Sweet. Rememories. Ego death. (laughs) And so I I think to be part of like genteel middle class, mm-hmm. you know, there's obviously wealthy rising stars, but I just don't think the numbers exist for right. there to be an exclusive, an internationally upper, upper recognized right, like exactly. elite social club. Yeah, no one's sinkable woman played by Kathy Bates. Let me tell you that much. <laughs> if only Corn could have had a boom and bust cycle. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> so she, this is what the paper says, visits genteel stores. I mean, same, but I don't know. Can't polish that turd. Like, <laughs> what does a genteel what store a look genteel like? What is a store? I just think, I think it's one of those places. Whole Foods. Yes. Oh, I was thinking one of those places that only sells wick candles and oh. uh, mugs. You know, where yeah. you're like, I love this. And it's very calming for all of my inner thoughts. There's one across but, the street. Oh, They're I, great, though. I'm like, how do you make any money? I don't know. 
how they're still there. I, actually, increasingly, I think it's a, a money laundering front. <laughs> the one that's across the street has multiple businesses across the country, and they gave really? Bowser a free toy when I was in there on their opening that's day. Sweet. So sounds like a really sophisticated money laundering operation. They also we also make our own candles. So the, the candle that's over there, we like refill it from over there. Anyway. Do you pay in cash? <laughs> no. Just the Sometimes. amount of candles I see for sale versus the amount of candles I see burnt in homes. That's true. That's not the same number. One it's year, like why you never see a phone in a dream. Yeah. <laughs> One year I made candles for Christmas for people, and you could really tell the people that like understood the candles and the people that were like, this is cool, what do I do with it? One of which was my mother. <laughs> You're like, well, this place smells bad, so start there. <laughs> Just like... <laughs> Light it. Sometimes I will light two candles in my kitchen living room, and that's, it's not a big space, but two really gets it going, let me tell you that much. It smells great. Orchestra playing in the background, organ. Dracula. Okay, so what we're trying to say is John Sheedy, sure, he was kind of shady, but also at the same time. So, was doing, I have to pause. Yeah. Did you just say Dracula? Yeah, I was like, do you mean Phantom of the Opera? It's it's a similar sound. <laughs> Grant just got real nervous. Guys. I'm like the definition of okay. looking eyes yeah. emoji right now. Yeah, continue. Basically, what they're trying to say is, John and Mary, I know them. They're nice. They could never have a relationship with a black man. And they're white. Or murder a guy. I'm not <laughs> even joking. Of oh, They're like, what? They would never fully be paid through prostitution oh, for or engage in misagination, which I believe was the old-timey word for like white people and black people interacting oh, with each other. Oh, cool, yeah. Also, I mean, extortion, that's crazy, but the murder's pretty shocking and he's definitely dead. And, <laughs> and, that, and this is now another quote from the article, and the murder was, quote, a breach of middle-class decorum. <laughs> <laughs> And raised fears about charlatans. <laughs> um, such corruption undermined the middle class sense of order and called into question the image it had of itself as being built on a strong moral character cultivated through self-discipline and hard work. Beware um, on the streets, there are charlatans. And you might encounter a black man. Right, and so, like, the stories coming out, these... You know, the stories, these rumors, the allegations, the story from McFarlane sounds really damning. Yeah. But that's actually not a good thing. No. Because it forces Lincoln's middle class society, its genteel culture, and a lot of its boosters to have to come with one or one version of reality, and they have two to pick from, and neither is really a comfortable view for them to come to terms with. Yeah, yeah. There's like two options and they don't like either. So mm -hmm. basically, how are they supposed to view Mary in this situation? To those who viewed her as a corrupted perpetrator, Mary compromised a fundamental bourgeoisie tenet of female purity and incorruptibility. Worse still was the possibility that she had been that she had not been corrupted, but that she had deliberately used oh, her sexuality to pursue her own self-interest. So it's either Mary Sheedy is guilty and she has been corrupted and women aren't supposed to be corrupted or like corruptible or two, she's not corrupted and she's really, really willing just to have sex. <laughs> <laughs> Roll dog. <laughs> What a great 
callback. Yeah, basically. You know, like, either she has been corrupted and women aren't supposed to be corruptible, or worse, she just uses the female pleasures to get what she wants. That's um, hysterical. And so it's, it's like a really uncomfortable idea. Especially because they're like, worse still is that she did it and enjoyed it. <laughs> Many middle-class women might have sympathized privately with Mary Sheedy's rebellion um, against the strict Victorian gender norms. Mm -hmm. But the idea of Mary Sheedy as an agent of female empowerment and advocacy set off insecurities, especially among Lincoln's men. And also... Mary Sheedy, who is not Molly Merrill, how she arrived in Lincoln, has an interesting past. And to be on a third husband is probably a little scandalous. So some of these rumors also might have revealed things about Mary Sheedy's past that Lincoln's middle class society didn't really know about. So either she's guilty and she's a perpetrator and that's not good and it could be worse. Or on the other hand, Viewing Mary as a victim rather than a perpetrator didn't offer much comfort either. Her seduction by several men seemed to confirm growing fears of a predatory threat to moral, middle-class women posed by sporting men. (laughs) Told you it was an insult. Or, quote... (laughs) You're not ready. Oh, God. Or, quote... Dudes. (laughs) Dudes. <laughs> What's the difference? I don't know. What the fuck is the Longer difference? Longer hair. <laughs> <laughs> a surfboard, a puka shell necklace. Hats all the way on heads. Hats all the way on heads, surfboard, puka shell necklace, and all of my lust and desires when I was 12. <laughs> I think that's the difference. We gotta remember this is not a Patreon episode. <laughs> a real bad grant. I think I need to change the battery oh, in the camera. Are we pausing? Yeah, that's fine. So I can should, do a little yeah. bit. Ooh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Welcome back from the break. We're back. (laughs) Basically, what we're trying to say is there are two bad scenarios here. Mm -hmm. Either Mary's guilty, and she's guilty because she has been corrupted by these negative influences, Mm -hmm. or worse, she wasn't corrupted and she just wanted to do it. So Mary being guilty, not a good look for the ethos and morals at the time. Mm -hmm. But if Mary's not guilty, that means she has been taken advantage of by men and powerful interests and has been corrupted by Lincoln's society. Basically, either way, (laughs) I think the mood at the time is like, well, of course Mary had to murder her husband. Look at what's going on in the city, you know? And it's like the question of her guilt versus the question of her innocence seems to matter a lot less Mm. because it becomes this bigger discussion around the corrupting influence of money, this like hate the sin, love the sinner relationship they right. have with some of their big moneyed interest in the city. And there's mm. also this whole element where it's like, um, it's a pretty clear and damning statement that's leading people to think Mary killed John, except for the one huge issue, which is that middle-class Lincoln has to accept the idea that one of their own, middle-class Mary Sheedy, hooked up with a black man. Mm. It's not even the multiple mistresses and infidelity, which is one thing, but I think something that they yeah. could like conceptualize. It is the a the white woman and a black prejudices. man intentionally coming mm. together that makes it really difficult. And because that is where the story is coming from, you almost want to dismiss it totally out of hand. That's ridiculous. Yeah. 
And I don't have anything else to say about that. So, still working on the title, but the title I've kind of thought about for this yeah. is Hometown Hijinks Part 2, Racism or Misogyny? Ah! Question mark. I don't think that's the catchy, like, ooh, let me download that let episode me, let title. Let me hear what that is. But it's a relatively silly episode yeah. of a 135-year-old case. Which, um, it's still hysterical. Correct. But it's also like... The, Racism or Misogyny isn't the, like, haha title to it's it. It's also like... It's so many problematic issues that are still prevalent today, but yes. like back in that time, it's like funny to see it as like a dichotomy with all the other shit that's happening to where society hasn't changed that much. It hasn't. And in the middle of that, I thought of what the title could be. Oh. Linking it together. I love it. <laughs> Done. Done. L-I-N-C-O-L-N. It together. Yeah, that's And they're all going to be so disappointed when it's not about Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> but that's fine. It's hometown hijinks. That's their problem. They get it. They get it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So that's where Lincoln's at as like this case kind of develops. See, the thing is that this case is so fucking bananas. Yes. I always forget it's in Lincoln, Nebraska. It's in Lincoln, Nebraska. It's so fun for me to say my hometown multiple times. Yeah. Well, uh, there's there's another issue at play in all of this. And it's that Casey just got back. No, I'm kidding. Hello. We're kidding. We're kidding. It was a well-timed thing in the sentence I was saying. I'm thrilled that you're back. Look at them. They're so cute. I love them so much. I can never have kids. I love my dogs too much. Good for you. Thank you. You're welcome to listen, but I'm going to jump into the story some more if that's okay. I don't lose the thought. Um, so Lincoln now has to kind of figure out whether or not Mary Sheedy is innocent or guilty. But by and large, people are like, this is a much bigger problem of much bigger importance about like societal level stuff. There's yeah. corruption and also integration, right? Like I'm not, <laughs> I cannot underplay the amount of the white woman, black man dynamic is shaking Lincoln society's view on It's also kind of crazy to me that a white woman would hire a black man to do their hair. That seems well, like- her husband did. Oh, right. Her husband brings her in. But what's also really interesting, and I asked you to remember this at the start of the Mm. episode, Mary Sheedy herself says she sees a black man assault her husband. So if that was true, why would you describe the person you hired to murder your husband? When you know that that's going to be a really identifying feature. Correct. And a man who would then tell the whole story, right? Like, unless you want him to get arrested, you put a little distance between you. Hairstylists in general are just known. I think it's like a a stereotype that they have all the gossip. Right. You know, and that's that's just another. I think that's funny. So now we need to add to the stakes to all of this. Okay. One week. I'm not joking. Exactly one week before John Sheedy is murdered. The Nebraska State Supreme Court delivers a verdict in a case that essentially states, if you are guilty of a person's murder, you cannot inherit that person's estate. Does that make okay. sense? Yeah, so like if Mary Sheedy is convicted of the murder, she cannot then keep the stuff that she's been using. Right, she can't, if Mary Sheedy is guilty of John's murder, she doesn't get John's estate. Which is why, only a few days after this Yikes. whole thing happens, on the latest train from Denver, John's Brother Dennis rolls into town, who's a railroad man. With He's lots like, that's my estate money. now. Correct. And do you know what Dennis Sheedy does? <sighs> what? Dennis Sheedy immediately partners up with several of John Sheedy's business opponents in Lincoln to create a little interest group 
to ensure Mary is found guilty. That's pretty smart, actually. I don't know that I would have thought that. If I right. Were I mean, it's. I mean, it's shitty. Shitty and backhanded. Oh, it's backhanded. But- because. John has an interest in Mary being found guilty because she won't get the estate. And John's business opponents have an interest in Mary being John? found guilty. Right, sorry. Dennis. Dennis has yeah. an interest in Mary being found guilty because if Mary's guilty, Dennis gets the estate. Right. And mm, these business opponents of John are interested in Mary being found guilty because if Mary's found guilty, she doesn't get the yeah, estate and, and then, it gets kind of ripped up mm-hmm. and then they don't have anyone to deal with. And so this is a crazy thing at the time. You're allowed to basically bankroll the prosecution. And so they hire a bunch of Lincoln lawyers because Lincoln's as a city is like 20 years old. It's on its like yeah. second or third mayor. Like there's honestly, it's like a quarter quell, one of the mayor elections <laughs> that happens during all of this. It's too soon. <laughs> the two mayors that had already been mayor and a third candidate run in one of the mayoral elections. Oh my God. It's Because it's such a new city and there's yeah. all this like influx of money and things like that. And so Dennis Sheedy and uh, one of... John's business opponents, his last name is Fitzgerald, fund the prosecution, help fund a bunch of the lawyers in town. They right. basically bankroll the prosecution to find Mary Sheedy and John and sorry, Mary Sheedy and McFarland guilty of the murder. And so Mary Sheedy and McFarland draw upon the resources of the John Sheedy estate, but also then turn to the Lincoln reformist movements. So now Mary and McFarland are working together? Mary and McFarland are now back to working together. And in addition to working together, they are now bringing in the support of Lincolnites who want to close down the saloons, the bars, the gambling halls. Because what they view Dennis, Sheedy, and Fitzgerald as representing all these moneyed interests. And Mary is now just another pawn in their game. And this is an opening for the reformist to finally get in there and crack up some of this stuff. Even though Mary Sheedy herself was maybe when she was married to her third husband, was potentially having two other lovers, one of whom was a black guy, and the other guy was a young man she met at, like, a hospital. Like, (laughs) what I'm trying to say is that, like, she's not necessarily this, like, pillar of, like, reformist, tempest image and ideology. Also horrible at strategizing. Like, this whole thing is... But is she? Yeah! Oh, because now she has powerful allies, a scapegoat, and a clear shot at her dead husband's estate. Yeah, she let her affair. Assuming she did it in the first place at all. I don't care if she did it at all. Why did she let her fucking mistress go to the police? So what's important to understand at the time is that at the start of all of this, when the very initial moves are being made, it appears through newspaper coverage that most believe Mary is guilty and that Mary then has varying degrees of sympathy, but that like, yeah, she probably did it. But Dennis Sheedy and his business associates hire prosecutors who are so aggressive towards Mary Sheedy that the prosecution actually starts to turn public opinion. Basically, they don't think a middle-class white woman should be treated the way she is being treated. Something that Mary Sheedy's defense absolutely starts to take advantage of. So basically, all of these forces are combining into one, but there's this powerful undercurrent of people who are tired of being pushed around 
specifically by the railroad industry, okay. which essentially owns Lincoln and hasn't been super quiet about using its money and influence mm. to get what it wants. Right. And now they believe that that money and those interests are going after Mary Sheedy. Okay. And so the trial begins on May 4th, 1891. What, three, four months after the initial murder? The district court judge, Alan W. Field, at Lancaster County Courthouse, um, the prosecution opened up before a jam-packed courtroom. The prosecution had accepted the defense's request to try Mary Sheedy and Monday McFarland together. together. Okay. The defense obviously hoped that if the case against either defendant was weak, both, both would be would acquitted. Go. Yeah. The prosecution recognized that their only hope of bringing in McFarland's testimony was to try them together. Because if you wanted to use McFarland's mm. testimony against Mary Sheedy, the judge would dismiss it as hearsay. Right, it just because a it's tale not, he told, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so both sides kind of agreed to it. Um, in separate tri- trials, it would have been easy to disallow it as hearsay. And even under these circumstances, it was fear- feared that Judge Field might not allow it to be considered as evidence. The prosecution argued that they intended to prove Sheedy and McFarland were both guilty of murder and accessory to murder based on the confession, supporting circumstantial evidence, and witness testimony. To corroborate that theory, that Sheary and McFarland had both murdered John Sheedy, and to establish Mary's motives, the prosecution's attorneys presented evidence gathered by the detectives and their own investigations, because at such a young town, mm-hmm. the prosecution, funded by all this railroad money, Has gathered own. its own yeah. evidence. The evidence focused on her relationship with her lover, Andrew Harry Wallstrom, her Bananas. plan, um, as evidenced by several witnesses testifying that they had seen Sheedy and McFarland together near the Sheedy's house shortly before the mor- murder, and her poisoning of her husband. Jesus Poison in his body. So, on paper, it's a strong prosecutional argument against yeah. Mary Sheedy, and then kind of linking to McFarland, too. Um but that's if you're not in the mindset of what a Lincoln juror is thinking about at this time. And the defense, for their part, do a pretty good job. First, a couple of fun quotes from the prosecution. Prosecution calls in witnesses, and the witnesses are happy to tee off on Mary Sheedy. Told stories of, quote, and this is a real quote, mm-hmm. putrid with the odor of moral rottenness at the Sheedy household. Oh my Another person God. used the word, a smutty tale of adultery. Uh, intermingling of races, bribery, extortion, and murder. They presented evidence of McFarland's activities that... You know, supported his confession, his involvement in the plan, the prosecution played on the illicit sex and the rising racial tensions, on police crackdowns at black establishments that had increased over the past couple years. They're basically like, oh. of course he could do it. He's, he's a black guy. He, and he's mad about all the shit that's going sure, on. Sure, who knows? Or maybe, you know, um, there's definitely this view in Lincoln at the time that black people are just criminal. So, of course, he could do so it. So, of course, he's going to His do race it. alone is enough to convict him of the murder. Um, both Yikes. defendants was based... Uh, I think they even have the murder weapon. And there's both corroborating and circumstantial evidence. Local newspapers declare an open and shut case. 
But also, local newspapers are largely funded by the railroad industry. So local newspapers say shit like... All uh, the time. <laughs> unsinkable Molly Brown when that's not her name. So. <laughs> so the defense gets up. They call in defense attorneys from Boise City, Idaho, and other places. The prosecution brought in Pinkerton detectives to help prove that Mary Sheedy had done it. And it's just like so rife with money that it's kind of clear that the jury is like, something's afoot. That like, whatever this is, she's only a small pawn. Yeah. There's strings being pulled. Um, You joined. Yeah, so basically the defense gets started and... I'm sorry, y'all. I know it feels like I'm skipping a lot of stuff. The article I read would do like two pages on one sentence, and it was like, that's so much. That's There was like a, a railroad strike in the 1870s that I'm not even including in all of this. There was a lot of stuff. I promise you're not missing any of the good parts. It's all the railroad tycoons. <laughs> yes! Exactly. Um, the prosecution, I'm sorry, the defense immediately starts to undermine every single part of the prosecution's case. Uh, for instance, Monday McFarland's confession was made under duress. Yeah. Um, they argued that it was clear that the Sheedies were happily married. Testimony placing Mary Sheedy and Wallstrom together was just a lie. And the idea that McFarland and Mary Sheedy would have a relationship was an obvious lie. She's a white man. He's a black man. Do she's you want to believe that story? Of she's course not. She's a white not. woman. I said white guy, didn't I? You did. <laughs> Memories <laughs> all alone. In- <laughs> I that was a Freudian slip for sure. No, it's sure. a homosexual slip. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, listen, has anyone else here seen this Andrew guy with Mary Sheedy? No, of course not. Also, how could they be in a relationship together? And don't forget, John Sheedy's the one that rescued her from destitution. She, they're ha- They traveled to Buffalo, New York together. <laughs> He's taken care of her health. These are all lies to smear a middle-class woman so that way her husband's estate can be ripped apart. She's a victim of her husband's murder and they want to victimize her again. Sheedy uh, was revolting and unnatural and absurd. The defense attacked the prosecution's preposterous arguments that a white woman's alleged black lover would, with the promise of a bribe, murder the husband so she could go off with a different man. And that's kind of fair. The idea that, like, wait, man one will murder man two so the woman can go off with man three? <laughs> That's a nuts story on its case. Granted, you add in the whole potential threat of Mary Sheedy being like, do it or I'll have a white mob lynch you. That definitely adds an element to it. You also, also add, hearsay. You also add in the fact that man one is actually man three and man <laughs> two is actually man four. Or man two is actually the third man in this case yeah. and that man one is actually then man four and that man three is man five. Yeah, and Man yes. 5 is actually, like, Man 1 disguised. Do you think there was like, a woman, too? <laughs> God, I hope so. <laughs> That's the only way Tyler will be interested. She ran off and became Louisa Hall of Denver. We made and that joke Louise, several times. <laughs> Louise Sneed Hall went back in time and became a pirate. <laughs> it's actually only been one woman every single time. <laughs> We've only covered one woman and one man this entire time. We talk about all of them the same way. So it's Houdini not... <laughs> and Louise Sneed Hill. 
Um, okay, so not only were they like, that entire scheme is cockamamie, that they also then produce a whole, I, that's a word I use, that's not in the article. I mean, that seems, um, I would have believed either way. They also produced several character witnesses who testified that Mary was a proper moral woman, and it was absurd to imagine her as an adulteress or a murderer. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, she also didn't murder anyone. What's so fun, and there's like a, maybe a little bit of science in the 1930s and 40s, but in the 1890s, it's like, I don't know, do you think she did it? Does she seem like someone who would do it? No? Anyway, okay, mop bye. up that blood. Yes, that's exactly it. They're like, I don't think she would murder someone. I think she would. Hung jury. Like, I, like. That's <laughs> it. There's no, no security cameras, no DNA testing, nothing. None at all whatsoever. And God. even when you have like, a pretty clear confession laying out a timeline of events, I mean, granted, it was made under duress, but they were like, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so they're like, she was a fine, upstanding woman, could never commit murder. They vigorously resisted the attempt to introduce evidence of Mary's relationship um, with Cheaty before they were married. Yeah, of course, because so, a cheater once is a cheater yeah, always. She was like, of course she cheated on John. John was at one point a mistress himself. It's like Louise Sneed Hill right. and her mistress. Uh, well, anyways, that wasn't included into evidence or her alleged relationship with Andrew Harry Wallstrom. Um, and all because they were able to keep that out, it all reinforced her character. And it was then again also supported by these Victorian gender norms mm. and expectations. A woman would never do such things like God this. God forbid. So playing on all of the sympathy that Mary Sheedy had established among the public based off how she had been attacked in the newspapers, how there was this perception that she's just a pawn in wealthy interest ideas, definitely an undercurrent of people who are frustrated being pushed around by big business, and also these gendered and racial expectations that Mary Sheedy would never do something she like that. She was at home cooking, babes. Of course. Absolutely. And it's mm. super normal to embrace your barber multiple times. <laughs> That's what I do whenever I go, why didn't you get my beard trimmed yesterday? <laughs> I did get my beard trimmed yesterday. I hope you like it, YouTube. Um, <laughs> Don't look at his skull, though. I don't notice my head. <laughs> I've been boiled alive. I just want to... <laughs> So lastly, they um, also made sure that she was dressed in black, openly sobbed in court for most of the oh, time, for fuck's sake. and barely acknowledged McFarlane's presence there. So distraught Mary Sheedy was over her husband's death. She couldn't even look at her mistress. It was a suggestion made several times in the press that was sure to strike a nerve among a growing number of Nebraskans, no doubt including members of the jury, who believe that the unbridled power of the railroads and other monopolistic shipping rate industries was squeezing the average Nebraskans, specifically the income of Nebraska farmers and businessmen, and that that money was corrupting state and local government and undermining the integrity of the judicial system and democracy in general. This populist sentimentality had provided fertile political ground for the development of the Farmers' Alliance and the following year would generate the founding of the Populist Party in Omaha, a political party that will have political success across the upper Great Plains states mm. as this movement takes off. A lot of the things you talked about in Denver is happening here too. What should be super clear to our listeners at this point is that this trial <laughs> has never been about John Sheedy. <laughs> or whoever the hell 
killed him. It has always been about railroads. Exactly. Railroads, money, women, minorities, (laughs) political power. Like, it's like poor John Sheedy is dead and poisoned in the ground. And they're like, not, they're like, everything. Bring in the Pinkertons! Everything. Exactly. Literally, exactly. Well, I see your Pinkertons and I raise you a lawyer from Boise City. Everyone's like, okay. What did I do? Get on a train from Denver not to corrupt half the city? Like, <laughs> everything's on trial except the actual murder, murder. of John Sheedy in okay, the story. Okay, yeah. Um, and so, um, in his final instructions to the jury, um, Judge Field reiterated to the defend- to the jury that although the defendants were being tried together, the case against each should be considered separately, and that furthermore, they were not allowed to consider McFarland's confession as evidence against Mary, and he clarified the definition of circumstantial evidence. Um, They went into deliberation on May 28th as local newspapers, expressing concern that Mary Sheedy would probably get off, proclaimed the defendants, Mary and McFarland, guilty. The following afternoon, the jury returned their verdict. Want to take a guess? We have a lot of evidence. A lot of evidence. Talk to me about the case for a second. I actually want to hear your thoughts on it right now. It's all just like... But she's a whore! <laughs> and he's a black and man! And he's a black man! And she's not a white guy! She's a white <laughs> and woman! She's cheated on him multiple times! And she cheated on her cheetah with another cheetah! Like, I, there's. I don't. I genuinely don't think there's any evidence to consider. There's just. Who are these people? Right. I don't think, but I don't think it's unusual for criminal cases at the time. No, it's not. I think but it just, also makes it like super fucking hard to be like, yeah, they're guilty. Yes, I right. think she, they're guilty. Like, I, I do believe the blunt force trauma and the poisoning probably right. killed them. Right. I don't know what the uh, like outside forces are going to kind of influence one way or the other. So here is a true testimony to my memories. <laughs> I. Jesus. I know I was told this verdict in class uh-huh. when I was researching this story, had fully forgotten <laughs> and was like on the edge of my seat, like, what, what? skimming through some stuff. I think in my 2023 brain, yeah. the idea that a white woman and a black man could love each other isn't preposterous no, not at, at all. all. Obviously. Yeah. And so that isn't disqualifying in the way it would have been in 1891. Yeah. But then part of me is also like, but then does that make me think of her as more guilty or like less guilty? And I'm like, oh, cool, like a trailblazer of her day. Or am I just like, no, like I understand why you would love a person of a different race. It's like not. But I mean, she also but- only embraced him, what, like twice? And women can be... M- At least that's what he confessed to after being in a sweat box for several yeah, days. Yeah, that's true. So you can't, like, even take his confession into account. But, like, it's not... I don't know. It's not impossible that she knew what she was doing. Right. And knew that bringing race into the the whole scheme of her case would make things more difficult. Sure. And, like, convoluted a little bit. And, I mean, women's... It's not... On her, right. like they they even accused her of like using her sexuality, uh, like as a weapon, right? You know, and so. But I also think for a second, my perception of the events of that afternoon are shaped by McFarland's confession, mm-hmm. which was very damning. 
But then you try to think of like, well, if you are McFarlane in that situation, you're in a really difficult situation. Because maybe McFarlane doesn't do it, right? Yeah. So if you're McFarlane and you did not do it, you are under police interrogation. You're aware that you need to provide them a story. But you want to make sure that the story you provide gives you as much leeway as possible to get out. Is it too good? Right. Like if you truly are innocent, but you understand you have to share something so that you aren't lynched. It's the Salem witch trials. Yeah, you need need to to provide a story that while maybe includes your involvement, maybe absolves you from the heart of the crime. And if that's your if that's your mission, if that's what you need to do, then the story he puts together maybe isn't actually all that far-fetched. It might be a ruse, it might be a lie. And I'm not calling him a liar. I couldn't imagine being in that situation. Mm -hmm. But I think if I was asked to come up with a tale that tried to absolve me of as much guilt as possible, I would take what limited information I had about that person, and I would try to use it to spin a story like the one he told. Is there an alibi for her other like person that she's sleeping with Andrew Andrew his charges are dropped almost immediately and no one points the finger at him and he's not even investigated before McFarland's confession comes out so see like if I don't know in my head what would make sense for for her to do I don't think there's any situation wherein she like didn't poison him right right and the fact that she did poison him is guilt my question now is is McFarland in any way involved? Sure. Or is he just being framed because because uh, Mar- or because Sheely knows that he's a black man, right? And it'll be easy to get him convicted of something. Sure. And so it would be it would make sense if she's trying to save her her now one true love. She's manipulated McFarland into a place of guilt. Sure. And been like, there was a black man there. Oh no! And then. Right. He does his best to tell the story, but it still sounds to these prejudiced people like he did it when actually it might have been this other this right. other man. I don't know. Something also to think about, too, though. Um, John Sheedy had plenty of people who wanted to murder him yeah. outside of, I want to be married to someone else. That's true. Like, yeah. He runs essentially illegal businesses, mm. and he's not the only one who does that. And him being off the scene would make those other businesses more profitable. So he has opponents. He has enemies in the city. He has plenty of people that would work with Mary to make that happen if needed. He has plenty of people who regardless of Mary or McFarland or not, would benefit from him being dead mm. and could very well have paid someone to murder him. And then we're just fortunate that Mary and McFarland get cut up because McFarland's testimony comes out after they grab McFarland and the police don't start off searching for McFarland. The police start off looking for a black man of medium height. <laughs> they are looking for an average looking black, black man, man. And they're like, we know one, his name's McFarland. And they find him at a bar in O Street. Mm. You know? I could also see Dennis doing it. Oh, 100%. Dennis and Fitzgerald, who immediately fall into cooperation with each other. That's weird. Yeah. I think it also says a lot about John and Dennis's relationship that, like, Dennis shows up on the scene. And he's like, your enemies are now my friends because I could get your estate. Not like your enemies might have funded your murder. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, I think there's a very strong case 
for McFarlane Mary, like as laid out by McFarlane's confession, but his confession comes under very dubious circumstances. There's certainly other people with the motive to do it. And if you are McFarlane in a situation where you need to provide a story, but you try to absolve yourself of as much guilt as possible, then I think the story that he shares makes sense for something that someone would fabricate. Since they're being tried together, do they have to have the same verdict? No, they get. Okay. They they both get, get their own different verdict. Different verdicts. Okay. And or the, the jury finds them both not guilty. Seriously? Dead serious. And that's actually the that's second to last shocking. paragraph. We had a really good discussion there. I'd be really, if I was a teacher and that happened in my class, <laughs> I'd be like, hell yeah, 28 kids didn't speak, but those two got it. <laughs> <laughs> Just like in cahoots. <laughs> Okay, so um, the where are we? Hold on. I put my phone down. We just teed off a little bit. That was fun, though. That was good. Um, the following afternoon, the jury returned with its verdict. Not guilty on all counts for both defendants. Spectators in the courtroom and standing outside exploded into cheers, as well yeah. as some hissing. Well, here's um, the thing, though, is that there's not enough evidence to support either claim. Right. At all. And that's so, with a modern mindset. Yeah. If you have this prejudiced mindset, like, of course, a woman would never murder, poison, or be in love with multiple men mm-hmm. at the same time, then the entire case feels like a hoax. Like, this is such a fabrication. Yeah. Of course, a woman wouldn't do it. And to mm. say a woman would do it would mean to admit that women could be corrupted, or worse, women don't need corrupting to do something like I that. I think that reminder that the lawyer gave right before they went into the del- deliberation of, like, you can't take his right. confession as like solid evidence right. and circumstantial evidence doesn't mean anyone did anything. Right, exactly. I think that probably played a big part in their mindset. So we um, are now kind of in like the end cap, which I think is kind of fun. There's, the story ends, I mean, John Chidi doesn't come back to life. He is what? dead. And also, at least the articles I read weren't like, and then a year later they caught the real murderer. Like I think they were just uh, like, this is a cold well, case. gosh, yeah. that's tough. But anyways, one less gambler. Um, <laughs> like, I, like, I think legitimately no, that's how like, it well, is in the 1800s. 100%. They're like, we tried his whore of a wife or his saint of a wife. And that's it. Yeah, that's it. It's not even like a cold case. Like at that point, they didn't even know to keep <laughs> DNA. Like they're, they can't. Oh, so we got it wrong? That's tough. Next time, guys. Next time. <laughs> it's not like the Golden State Killer where they're like, we have this tiny piece of DNA right. and we gotta spread it out over all these different these different trials. You know, like it's there's no there's no hope. Um. So the people who are listening are ecstatic. The local press proclaim the decision was quote a miscarriage of justice and okay. expressed concern that even the legal system had been corrupted and the thing is everyone seems to agree that corruption's occurring no yeah. one seems to agree what the corruption is is it the corrupting influence of these moneyed interests is it this activity corrupting the soul and moral character of middle class Lincolnites they weren't thinking like that there's just so much corruption I certainly know the railroad newspapers aren't I'm worried certain about that the, the Pinkertons shouldn't have been involved. <laughs> oh, yeah. Could you imagine then having to get back? Because what are they, Scotland? England? Pinkerton? I couldn't tell you. New York, maybe? Do you want to give a summary of the Pinkertons to I the people? I don't know if I know it well enough. They're private detectives that are... But I think uh, out of New York, right? I think so. Yeah. All I know is they shouldn't have been involved in Lincoln, Nebraska in this case. <laughs> um. So... They think that something's corrupted. They're not sure what. The press think it's the legal system. The average person thinks it's the powers that be. But even as shock swept through Lincoln, society, and the legal community, something in the response seemed amiss. Not only was it unclear who murdered Sheedy, it was also quite unclear what had happened to the prosecution. Yeah. Um, so, 
The day after his acquittal, Monday McFarlane dressed, quote, in a new suit of clothes and left town to visit his mother in Kansas. Oh. Never returned to Lincoln. I Neither would I. <laughs> okay, goodbye. Yeah, yeah I yeah. would go open up a barbershop somewhere else. Right. Mary Sheedy also left town. Good. Visited her mother in Iowa, eventually returned to Lincoln. She sold the Sheedy house later that year and in the following years was living in rooms at 1452 O Street and was still listed as the widow of John. Later, in 1892, so like a year after her husband is murdered and she's found not guilty, uh, she left Lincoln to marry Max Brust, a traveling salesman for the American Tobacco Company in San Francisco. On March 1st, 1893, using the name Mary Brust uh, and, quote, in need of money, she sued the estate for a larger monthly allowance than the $83 she was receiving. The county court ruled against her um, in large part because Dennis Sheedy funded the, like, case yeah. against it. Uh, but the court said, quote, the judge dismissed this case, declaring that, quote, Mary had already helped herself to the household furniture, a horse and buggy, and $500. And that, the judge said, um, was already more than what she was legally entitled to by law. By 1900, Max Brust had settled down as a storekeeper, and soon thereafter, the couple left San Francisco. And she seemed to have faded into Wow, she didn't get like 5,000 more husbands? Um, She had a husband and a store and a steady income, just not as much of an income as she wanted. So I think the estate stayed at least partially in her hands, um, but she was given like an allowance as, you know, other things was done with it. Uh, And that was the... Crazy bananas murder of John Sheedy and the who knows who done it case that followed. I really want to know who 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 hit who did the blunt force trauma. Who did the blunt force trauma? Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, I would honestly be almost so disappointed if it was like someone owed a lot of money at one of his gambling yeah. halls and just murdered him. I'd be him so to, dis- I need more intrigue if, than that. If it was just so plain and simple that like, I didn't want to pay back the money I borrowed, so I murdered him, and then they blamed his wife. <laughs> <laughs> and then his wife was also planning on murdering him that night. Boy, we really got a break there. Oh, we really caught a break there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Also, oh, I, yeah. I actually, so the poison, that, I don't think got enough limelight in the articles mm, I read. yeah. Part of me is like, because there wasn't a lot of detail on it, how long was, is it guaranteed that Mary poisoned him? Or could he have been poisoned elsewhere? Or was the poison just like what was in the cream that she put in his coffee? Because that's how they preserved things before refrigerators. Like, to what extent was the well, poison Well, the autopsy poison? also said that the what killed him was the blunt force trauma, right? So well, No, that's what the Inquisition uh, determined. The Spanish murder. Inquisition! A little bit, yeah. yes. The criminal inquest yeah, determined so it's not that really... he had definitely been murdered, we think. <laughs> <laughs> we're not actually We don't sure. think that pipe just fell on his head, and we're pretty sure that's what killed him. So, yeah, probably a murder. I would be really interested if, like, if we could go back in time and use modern technology to see if the poison would have killed him without the blunt force trauma or vice versa if the blunt force trauma would have killed him without and then what actually was considered the cause of death yeah that would be 
I feel like that would be fascinating and also be very telling. I would love to see my hometown with the same grid that I deeply understand and yeah. know today, but like back at that time. Because yeah. so the university is in what was probably the uptown district because it sits right there on P and then further up, which would track where you destroy the things that you don't like so you can build yeah. things over it. <laughs> um, just history of America. Um, the 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 saloons of my time, the bars when I was in college, yeah. were south of the university on O Street. Okay. So that meant when it was done, me and my friends would pick euros up from uh, the local falafel stands. Lincoln actually has an incredibly diverse like refugee community. Oh, it's one of the places you. It's one of the places the U.S. puts refugees when they first come to this country. In part. And I'm sorry for so this sad. because of so many of the Lutheran immigration charity organizations that do a lot of work. In fact, there's a group of Iraqi Christians. I forget what their actual name is. Uh, anyways, the second largest community of them outside of Iraq is in Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm happy that they found a home. And Lincolnites are for the most part friendly. Granted, I'm a white guy, so I'm not the I mean, last source on that. But Midwestern culture is typically friendly if you're in big cities. Sure. Yeah. What I'm also going to say, amazing euro. And then we would take it. If and it's a we good would... euro, that means that means they're friendly. <laughs> right. And that means we would walk past the exact intersection John Cheedy was murdered at, walk through the university over the railroad tracks and into a neighborhood called the North Bottoms. And I could talk all about that, but essentially 50, 60 years mm -hmm. after this murder, there's a wave of German immigrants who move to Lincoln and settle in the North Bottoms. And what their job specifically is to do is they uh, go out to the country and help with the sugar beet harvest, which is actually where a huge proportion of American sugar comes from. Oh. It's not sugar cane, but sugar beet. What do you want from me? It's just to reload a site. Okay, cool. We're still Stop recording. recording. <laughs> <laughs> I had to tell Casey that story because I don't think you could sit through it twice. Anyways, that was my that was my story. Hopefully, you enjoyed it. I did. It's about as true crimey as I will get. That probably, was, but that was pretty true crimey. Thank you. You you did the crime and the I did the time and you did the time. Too. And it was a hometown hijinks uh, on myself because I remember it as a story of my hometown whose story whose story's ending. I did not remember. I hijinked myself. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, well, how does it end? Exactly. Yeah, for reals. I'm like, wait, hold on. Do they catch? Because at one point I'm like, duh. But at the other point I'm like, well. <laughs> I'm kombucha girl. There was <laughs> one time when I was like researching for Molly Brown and I looked something up and I clicked on a link from the Molly Brown Museum and it took me to like this PDF that was written in like Comic Sans, you know? Nice. And like, it's like, a, a it had a bunch of details that weren't in some of the other documents. And so I read through it and then I kept scrolling and then it turns into like, like a question and answer thing, like where it has a question and then a bunch of lines for an answer. And then I had a vivid memory of filling that form out in third grade. <laughs> You're like, oh, this is where it went to live. I was like, oh my God, I went to the Molly Brown Museum. You were reading a worksheet. <laughs> I was literally reading the worksheet that came before the questions. And I was like, oh my That's God. fun though. Yeah. Um, we didn't do the speech uh, last time, but yeah, I think you guys fine. know the speech. Um, find us on social media at Well I Laughed. You can find us on Patreon at Well I Laughed Podcast. And you can email us at Well I Laughed Pod at gmail.com. And rate us five stars, please. That helps. It does help. 
And thanks, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed Hometown Hijinks and hope you're ready for spot number three. Yeah, and it'll be af- just after Christmas, but we'll be in a very Christmassy location. Oh, Santa. Oh, Christmas. Ah, Christmas? We love it. Okay, bye. 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 <laughs>